Thank you, Randy and the praise team. What a perfect song for the week we're in right now. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Uh, Purpose Church, let's continue to trust him, even as the votes continue to be counted and as the recounts and the legal challenges come. Oh, for grace to trust him more. I heard a pastor friend from Northern California say this on Thursday. We may not know who the president is, but we do know who the king is. We may not yet know who the president is, but we do know who the king of kings is, and we can trust in him. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to trust in him, in King Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Just one uh, quick announcement before we get into our study. Uh, we're going to continue to have our prayer meetings for our church on Monday nights at 6 p.m. Uh, under the tents, and just love to have any of you that just want to come and pray for America, pray for our country, uh, particularly in the days and weeks ahead. We're just going to keep that prayer meeting going, even though we're after the election now. And today we're going to dig into and continue our uh, November series. But before that, I just want to mention, if we do a wide shot here, this is so fun for me here in the worship center, because you'll see that we're all getting and working together to get ready for our December series and December Christmas events, which are going to be called Christmas. Christmas isn't canceled. Isn't that good news with all the other stuff in our country that's getting canceled? Christmas isn't going to be canceled, certainly not here at Purpose Church. And so as you look around me, you'll see the trees as we're getting ready for that December series. But now we're still in our November series from the book of Daniel called Thriving in Babylon. And the title of my message today is A Church of Marathoners, Not Sprinters. Now, I don't have anything against sprinters. Uh, it's just, uh, maybe I should have put it instead, not marathoners, not sprinters, but it, just not those that sprint at the beginning of the race and never finish the race. That's what I'm talking about. Those that sprint at the beginning, uh, but don't finish. Those churches that sprint at the beginning, but don't finish. Uh, those uh, followers of Christ that sprint at the beginning, uh, but never finish. Um, I remember back to college when I was running track at Wheaton College, uh, which is near Chicago, and our arch rival, uh, was the University of Chicago. And it's the weirdest thing. I never found out the story behind this, but there was this one runner from the University of Chicago. I'm telling you, every time I, I ran the mile, every time I ran against him in the mile, every mile this University of Chicago runner ever ran in, he always ran right to the front, got a huge lead, read, read, ran faster than anybody else, through two laps of the four laps of the mile, and then he'd drop out of the race. I'm telling you, every time uh, over the years that I was at Wheaton, every single time, he'd run to the front, get a big lead, and at the half mile mark, 
drop out of the race. He never finished. And you know, I just never found out what the story of that was. But that's what we don't want to be in our Christian walk. That's what we don't want to be at at Purpose Church. We are a church of marathoners. We're a marathoner church, not a group of sprinters that sprint to the front and then drop out of the race. I often say, you've heard me say this many times, that our 150-year history is truly remarkable in American and maybe even world history. And and let me explain why I say this. Uh, Kimberly always says, Glenn, you need to explain that because that just sounds way too braggadocious and, and kind of an exaggeration. But in our research, we have found only 10 other churches in American history, along with us, us plus 10 other churches, 11 total churches, only 10 other churches in American history that are as old as Purpose Church, First Baptist Church Pomona, now Purpose Church, and as large as we currently are. So that is, they're as old as us, and they still have as broad and large and vital a ministry as we have today. Now, this may even be true in world history, because in Europe, you find churches that are as old as our church, but not as large as our church. And in Africa, Asia, and South America, you find churches that are as large as our church, but not as old as our church. So it is actually a possibility that there are only 10 other churches in the 2,000-year history of Christianity have shared our level of vitality for as long as we have. So that's why I say that we are a church of marathoners, a marathoner church, uh, not just sprinters who start well, but do not finish well. Now, I wanna share with you now my new favorite video. And please forgive me because I just used it three weeks ago. And, and the reason I love it so much is, to me, this is a, is a picture of our church in the year 2020. Uh, we as a church are finishing the final lap of our 150-year marathon. And we're doing it while injured by COVID and all the other challenges of 2020. But we continue to run because as a church, uh, God did not call us to start the race. He called on us to finish the race. So uh, they always say a picture's worth a thousand words. This is a 60-second uh, picture, a 60-second, a one-minute picture of Purpose Church on the last lap of our 150th year uh, during COVID. Let's watch this together. For some, the reward is a personal one, the knowledge that they finished what they set out to do. A little over an hour after Mama Walde crosses the finish line, John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania approaches the stadium, the last man to complete the journey. A voice calls from within to go on, and so he goes on. Afterwards, it was written, Today we have seen a young African runner who symbolizes the finest in the human spirit. A performance that gives true dignity to sport. A performance that lifts sport out of the category of grown men playing at games. A performance that gives meaning to the word courage. All honor to John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania. Perhaps the words of John Stephen Aquari epitomize all that is right in the human spirit. When asked why he did not quit, he said simply, My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. 
They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Now, at the end of my message, I have an exciting video that we've made uh, to give all of us a glimpse, kind of a first look at our 150th anniversary uh, campaign, which is going to propel us into our next 150 years or as many years as we have until Jesus comes back. So no matter how boring my sermon gets, I want you to hang in there till the end because it's going to be worth it as we get this first look at our 150th campaign and how it's going to perfectly position us to march into the years ahead until Jesus returns. But for the next few minutes, I want to talk about four qualities that will help you to thrive in Babylon. Now, remember from last week, we said that Daniel, who was from Jerusalem, was taken into exile from his home in Jerusalem to an actual city called Babylon. It's in today what is the nation of Iraq. Uh, but Babylon in the Bible for us represents us living in exile in a culture that is non-Christian or post-Christian or is against God. Uh, that's the Babylon we live in until we get to our eventual home in the new Jerusalem, which is heaven. So the first qualities we're going to look at, four all together, but most of our time on the first two are obedience and courage. Uh, Layla Gifty Akita says, God can use you, you must be willing to follow his leading. We need to have the courage to follow the purpose and the plan and the leading that God has uh, in store for us. It takes courage to obey God in Babylon. Nelson Mandela once said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not the one who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. And then Mary Ann Rodmacher says, courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. So we're going to spend most of our time, almost all of our time, in Daniel chapter 6. And one of the best known stories in all the Bible, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And you know what's something crazy? I've been a pastor for like uh, just about 40 years now. I can't remember ever preaching on Daniel in the lion's den. So, so we are going to have some fun here today. You know, it reminds me of a funny story, and I know this is completely random, but I, forgive me, but I just love this story. I get such a kick out of it. There's this guy, and he's looking for a job, and he sees that they're offering jobs at the zoo. So he goes to the zoo, turns in his application. They said, this, here's what we need you to do. We don't have a gorilla right now at our zoo, so we need you to wear this gorilla suit and just pretend to be a gorilla, swing on the rope tires and in the trees and wave to the kids. That's all you got to do is to pretend to be a gorilla in this gorilla suit. And so he began to do this, and he was really getting into it, enjoying it. He was in the gorilla section. He'd swing in his rope, uh, you know, his tire, the tire put to a rope, and he'd be swinging on it and in the branches everything. He got so into it um, on his uh, rope swing that he swung out over the lion's den, the lion's area of the zoo, and he, and he, and he slipped, and he fell right in amongst the lions. And this one lion starts walking toward him. And so he begins to shout in his gorilla suit, help, help, somebody help me. And the lion just kept walking towards him. Help, help, somebody help. Lion keeps walking towards him. Finally, the lion, he's screaming, help, help. Lion comes right up next to him and says, if you don't shut up, we're both going to lose our jobs. <laughs> so 
tell he was a guy in a lion suit. So this story we're looking at here, it was not a guy in a lion suit. It, it was the real deal that Daniel is gonna face. Now Daniel, uh, fitting with our message and our theme today, Daniel was a marathoner and not a sprinter. He was a finisher and not just a starter. Uh, he's one of the few people in the Bible who didn't just start well, but they, they finished well, one of the few. Uh, the story takes place when Daniel was between 70 and 80 years old. So he is in his 70s. And for those of us that are older, this is a great inspiration. It's a great challenge for two reasons. Number one, it challenges us to finish well. And number two, it lets me know, any of us in our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it lets us know that God is not done with us. God is not done with you, and God is not done with me. Because here's Daniel, the thing he is best known for in his life. In an amazing life that he lived, the thing he's best known for happened to him when he was in his 70s. So could it be that our greatest usefulness to God, uh, the thing that will have the greatest impact for eternity, might very well be in this stage of our life, in our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and beyond. Okay, let's pick up the story, Daniel chapter six. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. The king was always worried about being ripped off. And so he had these three administrators that he, that he trusted overseeing these 120 satraps who were over 120 uh, provinces through this vast uh, Persian empire that ruled a big portion of the world at that time. Now, the administrator that the king trusted the most was Daniel. Let's go on to verse 3. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, okay? This was the guy the king could trust. So he was gonna elevate him to that number one position other than the king. Now you know at work, you know in the workplace, what does that lead to, all right? Jealousy, it leads to jealousy. Uh, verse four uh, goes on to say, at this the administrators and the, and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Let's just hold it there for a while. Oh, I wish that could be said of me. Don't you wish the same could be said of any of us? That, that the only thing they can find on us is something to do with following Jesus, with, with, with following God. Now, we as Christians are not perfect, far from it but we need to give people as little ammunition as possible so that it's not a barrier to them following uh, Jesus. And so we can't be perfect, only Jesus is perfect, but let's do as well as we can like Daniel. So they said, you know what, we can't find anything on this guy except something to do with the law of his God. Now, if you have not yet committed your life to Christ, um, don't let the imperfections of Christians keep you from following Jesus. I just wanna urge you, don't let our imperfections, uh, uh, Jesus is perfect, but Glenn is far from perfect. So don't let my imperfections 
keep you from following Jesus because that will not be a legitimate excuse when you stand before God someday. Hebrews 9, 27. It is appointed unto a person once to die and after this the judgment. And if you get before God and said, well, you know, I didn't follow you because that Glenn Gunderson was such, an, such a lousy guy, uh, God's gonna say, well, that, didn't, that doesn't cut it. I didn't ask you to follow Glenn. I asked you to follow me. I asked you to follow Jesus, not, not Glenn Gunderson. That's not gonna be a legitimate excuse, so don't let it keep you from Jesus. Now, for those of us that follow Jesus, let's have as few stumbling blocks, as few barriers because of us. Let's as much as possible have the offense be something about following Jesus, not the offense being other things in our personality or the way that we live our lives. Okay, verse six. So these administrators and satraps went as a group. Okay, there's 122 of them against one Daniel. So they were ganging up on him. 120 satraps, two other administrators, 122 to one to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. They're buttering him up. They're beginning to flatter him. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den." Uh, so they said, if they don't pray to, not to pray to anybody else except to Darius, or they will be thrown into a lion's den. Now, 700 years later, 3,000 Christians would be killed in the Roman Colosseum. Uh, uh, 3,000 Christians, uh, that's one estimate I saw. There might be other ones from history, but that's one. Uh, about as many people as are watching and joining us online right now. Imagine all of us that are, that are watching this being executed in the Roman Colosseum. Many of them by what the Romans referred to as Domnatio ad bestius. And any of you Latin teachers out there, please forgive me, which was execution, death by beasts, or execution by wild animals. Uh, usually it was by lions. Uh, here's a picture of a Barbary lion. And this is the type of lion that they would usually use from North Africa in order to uh, kill the Christians there in the Colosseum. It's uh, so appropriate that today we are praying for the persecuted church around the world that are literally uh, fighting for their lives simply because they're followers of Jesus. Now we pick it up with verse 8. Now your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, it would be so tempting for Daniel to rationalize because it wasn't like they were asking him to do something bad, like bow down to an idol, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace that we talked about a few weeks ago. No, just, just don't pray. It'd be so easy to rationalize. Look, Daniel, spare your life. Just, just don't pray. They're not telling you that you have to pray to the king. It's just saying don't pray to anybody else other than the king, so, so just don't pray to anybody, including God, for 30 days. Well, that was not Daniel. Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, okay, he doesn't angst about it, he doesn't wrestle with it, he doesn't go, oh my, what am I gonna do? 
he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. He prayed toward Jerusalem, which was a reminder that that was his real home in the same way that we pray towards heaven. We realize, as Peter said, we studied that last Sunday, that we're strangers here. We're foreigners here. We are living in Babylon. We are strangers, foreigners. And so our prayers go to heaven because the new Jerusalem is where our real home is, in heaven. So he opened the window and prayed toward Jerusalem three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to pray towards Jerusalem. You have to pray three times a day. You have to get on your knees. But he did have a prayer habit. And our prayer habit can be different for all of us. But the important thing is do we have a habit, a regular time, or just ongoing throughout the day as a conversation with God? Do we have the habit of prayer within our life? Giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he's not one of us, he's one of them, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing, he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He realized he had been manipulated by these jealous uh, colleagues of, of Daniel. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought. Now, many early Christians saw in this story a foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus. Think about it for a moment. Jesus was convicted by uh, this group of Pharisees and Sadducees who kind of went this whole group following after Jesus and, and uh, accusing him of things just like these 122 satraps and administrators just kind of as a group coming and accusing Daniel. He's unjustly sentenced to death just like Jesus. And then a stone is brought and placed over the mouth of the den. Now what does that sound like? The stone rolled over the tomb where Jesus was laid and the king sealed it. Remember the Romans sealed the tomb of Jesus? The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that David's situation might not be changed. So that, let's just hold it there. Can we go back to that for a second? So that his situation might not be changed. Maybe the whole reason God invited you to, 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 to join us here today, to be a part of, of what we're sharing here today, to be watching this, is that you feel like there's a situation in your life that can't be changed. And you're losing hope and you feel that despair that this thing just can't be changed. And it says here that they did all these things so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. But Daniel's situation by the grace of God was about to be changed and your situation, God invited you to hear me say to you, 
God wants to help you and to change your situation. That's why you're watching here today. So that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Verse 18. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, what does that remind you of? Again, the resurrection. You can see how the early Christians just saw this as a foreshadowing uh, 700 years before Jesus rose from the dead. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lion's? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. He's so polite to the king, even though the king got him into this mess. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel. And we believe that this is a pre-Bethlehem appearance by Jesus. Just like Jesus was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was a fourth one there. We believe that was Jesus showing up as he did occasionally through the Old Testament before Bethlehem and before Christmas, that first Christmas. And that in the same way that Jesus will be with you in the fiery furnace, Jesus will be with you in the lion's den. What are the lions in your life right now that you just feel like there are lions uh, coming after you? A pack of lions. And Jesus is with you in the lion's den just like he was with Daniel in the lion's den. May God, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty." The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And you begin to think, okay, well, were the lions just sleepy? And Daniel just kind of caught a break because you know how lions are at the zoo. Sometimes they're active, sometimes they're not. Uh, not the case. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. Now, critics will say that this kind of preaching about the judgment of God will breed violence. Do you know that I believe the exact opposite is true? You see, if we don't believe that God is eventually going to bring judgment to those that do wrong, then we feel that we have to take judgment into our own hands. I think it leads to violence because you say, you know, if there's no justice in this world, then I'm going to take justice into my own hands. But if like Daniel, we believe that God will eventually bring about uh, justice and judgment. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Leave it in my hands, the injustice in this world, the, the things that need to be judged, the situation, the people that need to be judged. Leave it up to me. Well, we can leave it in his hands and we don't have to take violence into our own hands because we can trust that God will do it in the end. Just like Daniel, he didn't try to take vengeance against these people that were attacking him. He just says, God, I trust myself to you and God brought the judgment eventually. Now, look how Daniel's obedience and courage in Babylon leads to God being glorified. And your obedience, your courage to be obedient in your Babylon 
at work, at school, where you live, in your Babylon, when you are courageous enough to obey God, Jesus is honored. God is glorified. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, all across the Persian Empire, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered, thrived in Babylon, in, in a hard time. He prospered in Babylon. You will prosper in your Babylon. You'll, you'll prosper in covid You'll prosper in all the challenges of 2020. Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's hold it there for just a moment. This is the Cyrus who made the decree permitting the Jews to go back to Palestine. So here in the midst of Babylon, God is still unfolding his master plan uh, for the world even when his children are still in Babylon. And even though you may feel that you are exiled in Babylon today, know that God is still at work behind the scenes, unfolding his master plan, his purposes. Whatever happens in our country, whatever happens in our world, whatever happens in your life, know that behind the scenes, God is orchestrating everything for his purposes, for his master plan. Now, just a couple of more before we're done. Perspective. Another quality that helps us thrive in Babylon is the proper perspective. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Do you feel like during COVID you're wasting away? But inwardly, God is doing a work. He's renewing us. He's, he's building perseverance uh, through what we're going through. For our light and momentary troubles, light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Not on Babylon, but on the new Jerusalem. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You go, okay, Paul. You call them light and momentary troubles. Well, Paul, you haven't been through 2020. Well, let's look at what Paul did go through in his life. That he re what is he referring to as light and momentary troubles? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods and was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern 
for all the churches. And yet in spite of all those difficulties, Paul wrote to the people at Philippi in Greece called the Philippians, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, even the year 2020. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. And then one final character trait for thriving in Babylon is endurance. Paul wrote to the church, the Christians, Christ followers in Rome. In Romans, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. James writes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Boy, his has uh, 2020 had trials of many kinds in the Greek? It's the Greek word poikolos, from which we get our word polka dotted. Has, has 2020 been polka dotted with trials of many kinds? He says, consider it pure joy. How, how is that? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And your perseverance uh, finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I want to close with a, a quote that I just love when you talk about our church, about Purpose Church and its 150th anniversary. Um, I love this quote by William James. He's the father of American psychology. He said, most people never run far enough on their first wind to find out that they've got a second most people never run far enough in their first wind to find out that they've got a, a second wind. Uh, if you've ever gone running, you get tired, and you may think about quitting when you get tired. But if you push through that feeling of tiredness and fatigue, you discover this thing that, that runners call your second wind. So let's go back to where we started. We want to be a church of marathoners, not sprinters. So let's go back to the William James quote one more time. Our church for over 150 years has run far enough on our first wind to discover that we have a second wind and a third wind and a fourth wind and a fifth wind and a sixth wind. You say, Glenn, what are you talking about? Well, winds, catching your wind again in a marathon is like generations. And most churches never thrive. They may survive but most churches, the vast majority of churches, don't thrive beyond one generation. Most, genera most churches, as far as thriving, not surviving, we survive long behind, beyond our effectiveness and, and our thriving. But most churches uh, do not thrive beyond just one generation, which is about 25 years. So in two months our church will begin to reach its seventh generation. 150 years, 25 years per generation. We've run through, caught our second wind, one, two, three, four, five, six times to reach each new generation. And in a couple of months, we're gonna begin to reach our seventh generation since we were started as a church in 1870. And the reason is because we've learned to change and to sacrifice, 
time, energy, prayers, financially, sacrifice financially to reach each new generation. That's what we have done on our marathon for the last 150 years. So I want to close with a video which does two things. Number one, it lets you know, all of us know, what we've been doing to improve our campus uh, during COVID. We have seized the moment during COVID to do all kinds of things that we wouldn't have had a chance to do uh, without COVID. So it'll let you know some of those uh, projects. And then number two, this video is gonna give us uh, just a first glimpse. So this is kind of a soft launch in 2020. Um, in, in, in case we want to give, like uh, Kimberly and I have already done uh, for 2020 tax purposes, we want to get a, a, an additional year in there with the other years that are to come as well. It gives us just a first glimpse, uh, a first look, uh, a soft launch. We'll do a harder launch when we get into 2021. Then we'll make a, a bigger deal and we'll all be together and we'll do the big launch then. But it gives us just a first glimpse, a first uh, launch at our 150th anniversary campaign. And I'm so excited about this campaign because it is strategically, we, we have prayed over this and strategically come up with a campaign that is perfectly gonna position us to reach this new seventh generation. Whether it's adult ministry, whether it's children's ministry, whether it's student ministry, this campaign is gonna perfectly position us on our 150th birthday, moving into our 151st year, perfect position to strategically be in the best possible place in order to reach now that seventh generation that God has called on us to reach generation to generation until Jesus returns. So let's all watch this together. <laughs> 